event. <laughs> Shout out to Andy, always keeping us lit on the playlist, bringing in the vibes. It's a Monday night, keeping us going. You are locked into RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. We are in hour two. We have much to talk about. We're still going to talk about Dwayne Wade and his dedication to his father at the Hall of Fame ceremony. We're going to talk a little bit about Clarence Avant with our special guest, Damon Haley. Um, I believe that that is someone that has influenced you in some form or fashion or respect his journey. No? Who? Clarence Avant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Little known fact, uh, my uh, first wife was uh, his assistant. Back in the day. Okay. And so, uh, but I never met him. Excuse me. I only shook his hand once. And so, obviously, he's a guy that I knew Will did a lot of power from just hearing, you know, Angela talk about him. Right. And then you go a little bit further and you hear just all these people. And then I did see uh, the Black Godfather. And so, yeah, he, he the biggest thing, he helped people in the industry get better because we know we used to get robbed. Right. And he was a guy who helped you not get maybe robbed as much, uh, if not at all. And so a lot of people, you know, make it through the door and then lock the door behind him. He was a guy who made it through the door and he kept it wide open, you know, for people. And that's the one thing I really respect because he's so respected by by so many people. So, yes, it's an inspiration. You, you call Black Godfather, you're doing something right in the music world, to be honest. A dot connector, no and, doubt. And, 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 and to make it to 92, he, he lived, uh, you know, that, that he didn't cheat life at 92. Not at all, you know. Um, so kind of of that, he was here in L.A. primarily, you know, he, came from I can't remember is he from Harlem can't remember Chicago one of those two but was primarily here in LA and I feel like LA is the unique market we have Hollywood in our backyard we have always had South Central um, in all its forms mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it has changed a lot but it has always been a hub of black life and the black experience here in LA for you starting a business right mm -hmm. that depends on people how did you decide? Because when you started Glow and Flow Beauty, you also had another business that you started that was, well, shall we say, above the tent. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what was the difference in launching those two businesses? And sort of, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because we know the pandemic had a hand in well, one. But well, what was well, the difference in comparison because of the different areas? You talking about the you? When you say the oh, La Brea, the, the, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so there's the salon, yes. yeah, the salon, yeah. Um, you know, one was service and one was products, and so uh, it was glow. The, the brand is Glow and Flow. We call that the experience because that was a salon. It was an extension studio, so we only did extensions, and so uh, hey, it was humming <laughs> for when we bought it and right before whatever that March thirteenth day was uh because it was 16th march 16th is the 16th yeah, yeah. It, it, it was it was truly a COVID casualty only because uh we just it just shut down everybody was afraid and it's it and and the extensions and that kind of service is very personal so the whole COVID thing everybody was afraid masked up all that kind of stuff uh the workers you know you had the whole uh workers not wanting to come and uh 
people, you know, through the back door and all that. So it just kind of destroyed that business. Uh, but beforehand, it was it, it had great promise. Um, and so it was a lot different than Glow & Flow, the, the beauty retail location, which really acted the opposite. Since it became a DIY space, people needed that more than ever. I would literally be at my distributors at 6 a.m., getting product so when my store would open and uh the other piece is that we're in inglewood so inglewood is an incorporated city and that means the mayor calls the shots not the city uh not the uh, not la the mayor of la and there was a mandate not to close any businesses in inglewood so la businesses were getting shut down and fined and all that we weren't uh and I think it's primarily because we needed to build SoFi Stadium. Okay. So if you shut down every other business, you're shutting down SoFi, which we know that's that's way more money uh, for the city and taxes and all that kind of stuff. So it really worked well for us. Uh, but the difference is really product and service. We, we couldn't maintain the service, you know. Uh, and when it was time to really re-up the lease, I just said, no, nah, let's just tap out and really focus on the beauty retail. And I really like that because I like it because as long as we got the product that people want and, and comparable substitutes, if we out of your product, we good. And then the other thing that plays for us is that we better than Target and, and any other beauty supplies, other beauty supplies. So they are speak. beauty supplies. You know, I'm a beauty retail concept, baby. That's right. You know, So we better than them. We, we better than them. And so you know me, I treat it like a Nike town. And so I'm in there, and, and it's a cultural thing. We connect culturally with the people who come in. Uh, so, so those were the two differences, I thought. But, yeah, if, if, if COVID doesn't happen, uh, that service thing would have still been humming. When we come forward, we'll have more with Damon Haley. We'll also get into Dwayne Wade and his Hall of Fame speech and how I'm going to relate that to a business venture that Mr. Haley is launching. All that and more, you're checking out RSVP with Joe Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. It's Joe Monroe. You are locked in to RSVP with Joe Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. I am joined by my guest, entrepreneur, author, all around bad guy. Mr. Damon Haley. Yes, baby. I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you and scenarios set up that I kind of want to go through. Um, Shoot your best shot, baby. Kind of looking at the order, trying to figure out which one I want to start with. Um, I think I'll start here, though. Your wife, Diane, as we discussed, um, is a force in her own right, right? Um, there have been periods of time when you have helped her with her business and taken a step back from yours. What has the experience been like being with a woman that is, you know, powerful in her own right and maybe the area or the arena that she plays in, they don't understand who you are and the things that you have created. And so they may interact with you differently. How is that experience dealing with, you know, a working power couple? Yeah, the, there are times when I'm uh, Mr. Valentine. You know, people say, excuse me, Mr. Valentine. I'm like, who are you talking to? You know, kind of thing. But um, I, I'm cool with it. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable, like, in her space because her space, like, I have my space. She has her space. And then there are spaces that we share together. 
And so when she's doing her luxury thing or when she's doing uh, the wedding design component and all that kind of stuff, I am a, a expert at what I do. I manage the finances. That, that's what I do. I make sure we're on task, we're on budget and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I, I embrace it. I'm okay with it. It's kind of a relaxation because I become number two. You know, I'm not number one. I'm number two. She does a great job at, at what she, I mean, she's, people Fantastic. fly, people fly her all around the world to do what she does. I don't get in the way of that. <laughs> I just, I just kind of let it go. And I try to unlock her, enable her to be her best self. As long as she's enjoying it, that's the, that's the big thing. So I, I don't have a lot of people that I have problems with calling me Mr. Valentine or thinking that I'm uh, less than. You know, uh, there's been a couple times when people have done their homework and was like, wow, you, you're somebody. I had, some, <laughs> I had somebody at Martha's Vineyard tell me that. We went there for three days because Diane got an invite. We were in and out. And somebody said to me, after they met me, they must have Googled me and said, hey, you're 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 somebody here. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, Diane and my mama the only ones think I'm somebody. Well, what you need, you know. But uh, I embrace it. I enjoy it. And uh I uh, let her do what she does, and I help her do it even better. Okay, so, and that, because you are so secure in yourself, because, you know, some men, the reason why I asked, some mm -hmm. men couldn't handle that. It would, you know, kind of intimidate them in those situations, so. Um, yeah, I, I can't, you know, you know, sometimes, if anything, it's uncomfortable, right? And so when she does TV and I'm around and people are trying to, uh, make me comfortable. I'm like, hey, I can get my own water. I don't need, you know, and, and I'm all dying. Oh, hey, let them do their job. If It's their job to get you water. And I'll just be like, wow, I'm just not accustomed, particularly when she's in a tit television environment, the way they dote around her and stuff like that. That makes me uncomfortable uh, because I'm just not accustomed to that. But uh, but other than that, it's it's cool working with her people. She, she does work with interesting people. Uh, is some, you know, athlete she worked with. Uh, it's funny, you know, she worked with one athlete and I'm carrying boxes just because I'm an extra person. And then somebody who was with the athlete recognized me and was like, oh, man, that's D. Haley. You don't know D. Haley. He blew my cover. Right. Because I was just the husband helping. But then all of a sudden, I'm not that anymore. And then I get brought into a conversation about some strategy. And I'm like, man, my wife going to kill me if I don't load that truck on time. You right. Know? It has so nothing to do with that got, today. Yeah, it ain't got nothing. So uh, so I embrace it overall and I'm confident. And I can see how somebody can be intimidated and all of that. But uh, I'm, I'm experienced. I'm a, I'm a dude who understands, you know, different worlds. And I, ju I just flow with it. So I want to ask you this, kind of shifting a little bit, related, but not so much. So over the course of your career, I would say one word that has been used to describe you, in addition to many, but one word is intense, right? Mm -hmm. And you are intimidating to some people. So what is it like to function across business in different areas and deal with the intimidation from others or sort of manage to you know still put out your business go through those things but deal with the challenge of labels that are sort of outside of you yeah you know I, I've you know maybe I'm I got blinders on but I, I've heard it, you know somebody calls me ID intense Damon and and so my intensity comes from really wanting to perform 
for one. And so some people will get it and some people won't. Uh, and so my intensity has to do with passion. It has to do with drive and all of that. And, and that's really it. Um, but the intimidation is it's I try to now and over time meet people where they are um, and realize what's critically and vitally important. Everything being right and my overseas stuff kind of helped me with that. Like I realized that people aren't going to communicate as effectively. They can't even spell in terms of English right. So it doesn't even matter if it's not spelled right, long as I know what they're talking about, or if they misconjugate stuff, it's about really getting it get it done. So I've I've learned a lot in that capacity. But I, I remember uh, it turned for me one day in in a, in a certain way with my dad and my brother, who who you know works with uh, a company that we both work with, and they didn't know he's my brother. Some people didn't understand he was my brother and. He was talking to my dad. Oh, yeah, Damon got everybody when he comes around standing up straight. And so uh, my, my father said, hey, um, come holler at me before you leave. It was at my pop's crib. It was a Sunday afternoon. And so my father says, what's this this stuff so-and-so was talking about? And I was just, oh, this, that, or the other. And he kind of shook his head. And he said, hey, man, you've been like that for a long time. <laughs> you used to have the elementary school teachers. On, on, on alert and so he was telling me things about who I was and so I do think part of it is who I am and I mentioned the wash house and all that kind of stuff and what I say to your, your guy Andy lunch money and all that so once again that's fighting intimidation so I grew up in an environment where I could not be intimidated right so a lot of that I think and not, not to mention I got three brothers and grew up with a dad and my dad was six, three and taught me not to be scared. So some people that haven't been around a man like, or, or I don't know what the political term is, a man's man or something like that has to understand that it's not that I'm trying to intimidate you. It's just that I'm standing ground and I believe what I believe in. I'm passionate. I got drive. And if you rolling with me, Baby, we rolling. And so uh, I'm better at that as I get older because I don't want people to be intimidated by me. Uh, I don't want people to, I don't want barriers between me and other people. And I think when I was younger, I was just going because, you know, when we were doing what we doing and we dealing with all the names you had just said, it's perfection. It is. And so other people think that it's pleasure, but for me, it was work. All those Saturdays that I worked. Saturdays other, at Venice Beach. Other people were just having a Saturday. I was working because I can't come down and have somebody, you know, in the black SUVs and all the important people come and it not be right because the position I was in, I only thought I had one chance to mess up. And so that brings a level of intensity. That brings a level of let's happen. Let's make things happen in excellence because my grade has to be a 90 and above it can't be a 80 is that do you think that that is part of just the black experience of being in corporate america so to speak for some you know where we don't feel like we have an opportunity to find our way like it has to be perfect off top yeah yeah i i, I think so i mean because when we're at the levels that we're at 
it's like a it's like a triangle and we're, we're working our way up and everybody ain't going to make it. And if you don't have cover, somebody who likes you to massage the story about you. And we know that black people don't ascend to those levels. And so if somebody doesn't like you, then they can shape and form what a misunderstanding is or what a shortcoming is and all that kind of stuff. And I my personal experience is that I haven't had that kind of cover that my stuff has to be undeniable. You know, you're always going to talk some stuff, but it ain't going to be no no mistake. It ain't going to be no obvious errors and all that that kind of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of my intensity uh, for uh, perfection or well, not even perfection, just excellence, that's kind of where it comes from. And that's why I said now I have people that work for me before that come back and say, I understand, because now they're going through the space I was in of responsibility. Right. Oh, I, I get it, D. Oh, yeah, but uh, I know why you did this because of that, because now they're going through a space that I went through. So, yeah, I think it has everything to do with at least my experience of being like that. And the statistics say I'm not alone. Right. No, 100 percent sure. I think that obviously when you are a black person entering into some corporate spaces and especially now because things are changing, we don't really know what the rules are at this juncture in time yep. because yep. they've changed and the priorities have changed. Yep. I think it's interesting. You, your um, quirks are magnified. Your, you know, maybe misstep or something that would be okay if someone of a different hue mm-hmm. made it. Mm-hmm. It's different. Um, yeah, and you talked about culture before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, before we used to have, the culture used to be richer and you needed to know more. And so the things I was able to do, I morphed into a business concept that helped the brands, that helped drive business, that helped do all of that. Now, you don't necessarily need that. You can sit back remotely and look observe. at observe and then make those decisions and, and say, we're going to go in this direction and be okay. It used to didn't be like that. Um so it's smoothed out more. It's, it's, I wouldn't say softer, but it's not, like I say, it's not as rich. It's, it's just stretched out more, what this thing culture is. I mean, I think, I, to your point, I think it's easier for people to observe and kind of duplicate and put it out mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's kind of like, you know, whipped cream or a puff. Like, you know the difference between whipped cream icing and buttercream, for lack of a dip, you know, using that comparison, buttercream's more rich. The whipped cream icings, a little light, a little fluffier, mm-hmm. kind of seems the same, but not the same, you know, deep down inside yeah. of that. And, 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 and when we were doing it, because the masses didn't understand it, they would not understand a gang of people versus a gang. Yeah. You know, and so I had to do a lot of education just to just to get people to understand the value that was being delivered. And so, once again, that took a lot more to do that no one else could have delivered, you know, that was outside of of, of that culture. Uh, Like I said, now it's a little easier. So, well, kind of along those terms, we talk a lot about business and we have a lot of expectations for our current celebrities or even athletes that they should be business entities. They should create a business, invest, start things off. We applaud 
any business venture that they launch, even if they're not logical. And I'm going someplace with this. I'm leading to this. So Lonzo Ball, we know, might be dealing with a career-ending injuries, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the speculation leads back to the footwear that he wore earlier Mm -hmm. in his career with the Lakers. We know his dad started. Andy is back there laughing because I bring this up every once in a while about LeVar Ball. And though... um, I know what LeVar Ball did for his sons, and I respect the fact that he was a father that had a vision and helped, you know, drag his sons to the finish line. I feel that he was a detriment to them and that he took it too far. And it's something that we kind of really, as much as we want fathers involved, it's something that we only see as of late, like even with the team Morant, like but more so on LeVar. He created a product, no wear testing, charged what he wanted, and everyone applauded it. And I was sitting there, perhaps it's because of my Nike background, like, that's not going to work. They're not even rolling out. If they haven't tested those shoes, what's going to happen when they're on his feet? What are your thoughts about sort of that aspect of entrepreneurship that is permeated in athletics and entertainment right now. Like, is it really a good thing or is it just kind of for show? Because when you think back, like before athletes had a record label, then they had a clothing line. Now, you know, a lot of people have skincare, you know, lines, uh, still clothing brands or streetwear brands, you know, they're branching off and it sounds good, but is it all good business and are they really taking it seriously? I, I think it's a case by case base to be, be honest. I think that they all aren't taking it serious because they don't have the time, effort, energy, or expertise to even do it. I mean, as great as LeBron is doing LeBron's job, I don't know what his latest job, but I used to always say he's a parade maker. Okay. Yeah. Period. Kobe's job. We per, missed it. Per, but per, he's a parade maker. That that's anything less than from that type of star, you, you you nothing. You know, like like everything else is just secondary. So I think that if you have a passion, you have enough money to do it. See, that's the big thing. You have capital. You can do exactly what you want to do. If you're making a a meager $15 million a year, you can blow a million or $2 million, which is what, 6 12% on your, 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 your dream or vision. I think that's, that's cool. You do it, you try it. Uh, I think some of it fails, like most folks with money, you know, fail. I'm sure there's some rich kids out there that, 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 that fail, just like it would be a, a 23-year-old that has an idea about something that could fail. So I, I like it. I like the capital uh, I like the idea of using your capital to really grow. You know, uh, I was in the space of uh, somebody next to uh, Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, with the whole uh, vitamin water deal. That was, that was a very smart move for a dude like that. He understood money. It, 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 money I need to invest once again. He got his $400 million by investing. So I think that there's different ways to do it now, but I am 100% down for athletes using their capital to invest in solid business. When we come forward, we'll have more with Damon Haley. You are checking out RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. 
Welcome forward, you are locked into RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. This is the show where we talk headlines, trending topics across entertainment, sports, lifestyle, and culture. My guest tonight is Damon Haley. He is an entrepreneur. Has worked with some iconic brands, Nike, HBO, Frito-Lay, Nickelodeon, with some of our favorite, favorite figures across entertainment and sports. Name dropping a couple. Kobe, Magic, Michael, LeBron. Okay, there's more from there. Um, his wife is also. They're a true power couple. I just, I like to throw that out there because, you know, oftentimes when we say power couple in this era, we think of a singer and a rapper or an actor and an actress, those type of things. But I like when we can highlight people that are doing things and making a real difference, not just in the community, but in the business world at large. So. I have mentioned that the Hall of Fame ceremony for basketball took place over the weekend. We know Spurs coach Greg Popovich was dropped in there. We know that Tony Parker, another Spur, was dropped in. Dirk Nowitzki and Wade County's own. That's Dade County, y'all. Y'all know that, though. Miami Heat star Dwayne Wade was added in. There has been a lot of conversation over the past few years about Dwayne Wade as a father, and we've seen all aspects of that conversation from his divorce and custody battle with his ex-wife to his decision to support his daughter, Zaya, who um, is trans, and also, you know, break baby and whether or not he is involved in that child's life. But during his Hall of Fame speech, he spoke about his father and the impact that his father made on his life. Dwayne was living with his mother and at a certain point, his mother felt that it was time for his father to take over and help. He said that she took away her ego and allowed her father to step up and step in and give him the support that he needed as a man at that time, even though it was away from her. And it was really impactful for him. So we're going to play a little bit of that, and then we're going to come back with some commentary. To know we hustle all the way to the Basketball Hall of Fame is God's will. So, Pops, I know your knees are a little sore, but will you join me on stage as we take our rightful step into basketball heaven? This one right here, this one is for my father. I love you, and I'm thankful for you. I love you too, man. We in the Hall of Fame, dog. So the really beautiful moment, um, the longer version, as I said, contained, you know, Dwayne's commentary on his father and just how impactful that was. And I feel as though that upbringing, that situation that he experienced, shaped who he is as a father. And we have a lot of conversations now about, you know, the overcorrection of parenting, where we are with this current crop of whether it's young athletes or young men in general. And Damon, I want to talk to you a little bit about what you see with young men, because you 
not only have worked with NIL projects, you've worked with obviously college players and high school players. You are putting together a product that will help young men with grooming and hygiene, something that we don't often discuss. But through these type of ventures, through these type of examples, do you think that we will have a sort of rebuilding of what it means to be a young man. Because I think it's skewed right now. I think that there's a lot of things that are included in the conversation that maybe don't matter, but matter more than they should because of the current era. So what are your sort of thoughts as you've watched a generation of men evolve and develop, especially, you know, like we talked about being a man's man. as sort of Yeah, I, I think, I think that, I think, Boys need to be touched by men, period, period. Back in the day when we used to do that Nike stuff and I used to bring barbers in, part of why I did it is because a boy might not be touched by another man. Just just to have somebody grooming you, just have somebody there talking to you, engaging you, I think is important. Uh, there's a stat out there that says whatever the measurement of success is that – a single dad has the same level of success with that kid as a mother and father. It's really just a mother only, and it could be economic, a number of reasons why that kid doesn't achieve success. I, and so I think there's a place in in this world and this time where we had in 2023 where we have to create opportunities for boys to be connected to men. Sports programs have in parks have gone away, which means that the you know men tend to come together around sports, their son's sports. That park thing goes away, or boys and girls club and all of that. That togetherness doesn't happen. There's no coaching. We know that in the schools that ninety something percent are women, and you don't find male uh, teachers. Right. So if you don't have it in the home, how are you going to get that voice? Of, of a man. So I think that I see that a lot over the, over the years. I, like I said, I love being around sports because I like being around guys. I like that kind of culture of, of coming together for a common goal of kicking somebody else's butt and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, because I like the, the tears of joy and the tears of defeat. I love that kind of banter and all the crap talking that happens. And so once again, I can talk crap to a young dude and it'll break him up. I can't tease my oldest grandson. I'm like, toughen up, homie. <laughs> you know, we rolling. So I think it does. And, and, and I was deeply touched by, by that because if you read my book, I have a whole chapter. The That's end of my book, the bonus chapter is on my dad because I love my mom. God rest her soul. I, but, man. I was, I, I mean, my pops made me who I was, you know, and, and I hung out with him. There was no place I couldn't go with my pops. Hey, come on, let's get, let's go. Boom. I had a different type of relationship and it shaped who I am and how I deal with men and how I deal with being a man. And I do think that Dwayne Wade, I, I, he's a leader. And that, you know, LeBron went to Miami and, and Dwayne Wade win. was the leader. Mm -hmm probably because he took the example of a leader of a guy like Pat Riley, all of the, 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 the owner Miami. No, it's a man's place. When you go to the Miami heat, 
And Dwayne Wade was the guy who led without being the best player on the, on the floor. So I think those are the kind of things that being around a man helps you with because, hey, let's face it, if you go to a work environment, it's probably going to be mostly men. If you are an executive, it's probably going to be mostly men. Wherever you go, it's going to be mostly men. And so you got to know how to deal with them. And I'm not sure that a single mother treating a, a boy like without a guy in his life, I just, I just think it's, 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 it's a missing element there. When we come forward, we'll have more with Damon Haley. We will talk about Michael Orr and what's happening with the blind side lawsuit. That's what we're going to call it. All that more, you're checking out RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, it's Jill Monroe. You are locked in to RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. Now, if you have checked out the film The Blind Side, you know, Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for it. It was about a black NFL, well, eventual NFL player, football player, high school. His name was Michael Orr. And he was adopted, again, air quotes, by a white family that were boosters connected to the college that he eventually went to. Um, and it turns out that he's recently discovered he wasn't legally adopted by them. They had a conservatorship that he also signed over all of his like um, likeness rights as well as contract negotiations to the individuals who adopted him. Again, he was over 18 when this took place as well. And, you know, he made no money from the Blindside film. They were paid, though. So were his adopted sisters and brothers. So, you know, he's at this point now where he's retired. He's married. There was even a scene in the film that I've seen this clip floating around social media where there was a black woman talking to him, saying to him, you know, there are rumors that there are several white boosters from various schools that are doing this. They take in a black child that they feel has potential and pour into him using their money to manipulate them to go to a school of their choice and to cash in on it. And so... It was reenacted, so we can't say that those conversations probably didn't happen at the time, but he was young, he didn't know, um, and he basically was conned out of his like um, his likeness rights, the ability to negotiate deals for himself, and proceeds from the film. What are your thoughts on sort of the situation that always seems to happen in sports, especially, though, as we talked about young black men that haven't been touched because, and I'm going to relate this to something crazy, I think that's why the Kardashians have a lot of success with a lot of the black men that they do. Most of them mm -hmm. come from single-parent homes or homes when the father wasn't present, maybe not a sort of family existence. And I think people underestimate what the lure of feeling a sense of belonging, especially within a family, can do to a person and cause them to let their thoughts down. So what are your thoughts on sort of these boosters getting involved with young black talent and, you know, this case, in, but in general? Yeah, you know, just one, I, I have, I've never seen the blind side. Neither have I. Uh, I, I, I refuse. I know the story. Uh, uh, and if you are white old, savior movies, if mm -hmm. a, my father would not let me watch uh, White Shadow. Really? So, uh, hey, Robert Lee, that was part of his rules of order. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. I loved The White Shadow. Pops wasn't going for that. I, I But know. I understand. Uh, yeah, he was he was like that. And matter of fact, he didn't even like me watching Miami Vice because Tubbs never came up with right answers. Okay. And what, what does it say? What should we do? <laughs> you know, Pops was just, he was thinking like that. You Let know, Crockett and, have all the Yeah, glory. Crockett got all the women, got everything. And Pops was like, why are you watching that? He, he wouldn't say turn it off. But, boy, he'd make me feel bad on a Friday watching that thing. Um, and so um, I think that I, in my journey of being around athletics, have seen tons of people outside of our community and inside of our community take advantage of uh, black athletic talent, mostly football and basketball. And so I think it is a travesty. I think it's because we have a lot of fatherless homes and we aren't provided access to really high levels of leveraging ourselves. So if you think about boosters, well, you have to know how colleges work in order to even get the money out of a booster. And I knew a lot of uh, black people that did the same thing, you know, just people in general. Um, I do know that with, uh, you know, with this Michael Orr situation, what I read from it and what I recall back when it was going on, he always said he never got paid from it. Right. Um, Which I found was interesting that they wouldn't include him if their family, that they wouldn't include him. Time will tell if he was adopted or not. You know, but that whole conservatorship, I got into conservatorship when around my brother who needed some care. Uh, but I know that's where some 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 other entity controls your life. And so that was a guy who didn't know, need anybody to control his life unless they wanted to control once again where the he would money. go to college. Right. <laughs> which they, they probably got. We know now the NIL back then it was OK to get money under the table and so to get a big dude that eventually played many years in the nfl somebody probably told that family you're gonna make money off that kid i mean their whole brand it's since the film has come out really is related to him so i mean them doing good and particularly the mother from what i read the mother has her whole little thing happening around that and but once again it's interesting that they would use his life story and not include him. From what I read, and I could be reading the wrong thing, he's not included, but the the, the mother, the father, and the two kids, the, the son and daughter, are included as a package deal, even signed to CAA yep. as a package deal. So I think that, um, and for him to deny, right, not deny, but for him to assert that, they did him wrong. I have to believe him. You know, he would know. He could have just said, hey, I'm going to make my NFL money. Y'all make this money. That's y'all money. He's not saying that. He's saying, I was unaware of all of this stuff. I didn't really know. And it means they did him wrong because somebody didn't explain it to him. I mean, I know, like, hey, I had a, a, a heated conversation with my accountant today. And he was like, Okay, you you might get audited for this, and I was like, okay, catch me if you can. And so, but he was telling me right that in making me make the decision, they didn't have that kind of conversation. When you talk about an eighteen-year-old child, an eighteen-year-old man that's making life decisions to go, and you accept that that scholarship is a job, 
a college scholarship is a job because they basically saying, especially with the Power Five, like Ole Miss, I think it was. Yes, that, that, yeah. That's SEC football. That's your job. You ain't no student. They breathe, they, live, eat. You, 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 your football is from one o'clock during the day to whenever you all that kind of stuff. It, it, and I've been around sports to know you playing at a Power Five. That's your job. If you get a degree, if you're lucky, maybe you know. So they, they. He said they did him wrong. I think they did him. He says they did him wrong. I can say they didn't do him right. Absolutely. DJ Black 909 says, I'm so upset that this is happening to Michael Orr, but black people have been screaming about how bleep this story is for years, and I'm not surprised to learn it was all a scam. Totally straight up, obviously, just like all white savior narratives are a scam. So he's pretty upset about that. When we come forward, we will... Make sure that we get all the deets on where we can find Damon Haley and all of his projects and get into a little bit more with Slay Hair. We're also going to talk a little bit about, listen, Sierra has commentary on Black Twitter and them always weighing in on her relationship. And if there's time, we're going to talk about Run DMC and their final performance as hip-hop icons so we're going to get into a little bit of their history and why i feel that they you know should be a little bit more revered than what they are they've gotten their flowers i won't say that they haven't but i think that um it bears repeating some of the accomplishments and first that they have gone through because listen they gave their last performance in hip-hop allegedly so you know, it's iconic. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the celebrations over the weekend for the 50 years of hip hop, the 50th anniversary. All that and more, you are listening to RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580.